Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 74, Second Owner Survival Tips. So there's a disturbing trend in the homebuilt fleet accident data, and it's also reflected in the Sonic statistics, where the second owner of an experimental aircraft, they run into problems. Sometimes those problems happen on their very first uh, outing. They're flying the plane home, and they run into a problem or an accident. So experience has shown us that many common problem areas that a second owner may encounter, they follow these same trends that come up over and over. We'll highlight those areas and offer some advice to keep you out of the NTSB statistics. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonic's 1374. Joining me once again are my two good flying buddies, John Gillis, Gary Motley. So, John, uh, what you been up to recently? Oh, I'm uh, the soaring season has started, and uh, as you were, I, I purchased a, uh, a cross country ship you know, last year and I am flying the stink out of it. So, um, the Sonics, I, I try to get it out at least once a month now, but it is definitely my second, uh, second love right now. So your Sonics has become the, uh, the, the occasional toy where you go, you know, play around with your glider. Huh? When, when the conditions are not good for soaring and still good for general aviation, I will take uh, the Sonics out. You know, John, what I was really thinking, and Gary, you can back me up on this, is that, you know, John, you've always had to have a little side action going. So, Yeah, I, well, you, you got to have that, uh, that, that backup, uh, you know, uh, uh, itch to scratch. <laughs> so that's where I am. <laughs> well, good. Well, it's always good to have options and alternatives. Yeah, well... Take advantage of that good summer weather. I mean, I guess the thermals are booming, so better use them. Yeah, that's the thing is uh, in Colorado, this is the thermal season, and we're, we're getting some tremendous uh, soaring conditions. I will say, though, I took the uh, last time I took the Sonics out, I was out playing with the, uh, the autopilot that I had put in during the B model conversion. And for some reason, I had it, the, the uh, MGL system I have only follows the bugs, your altitude and, and, uh, and heading bugs. So you just kind of say, follow the bugs. I had set the bug a thousand feet low. And when I hit autopilot, it was hunting down a thousand feet. And so I immediately just grabbed the stick and sheared off the, uh, the autopilot servo, uh, safety pin. Uh. And, uh, learned that, Oh, it's better to just turn off autopilot than to, to override it like that. So that's one of my challenges uh, on the next uh, bad soaring and bad flying day is to pull that autopilot servo out and replace that pin. Yeah, that. I guess that would have to be a learned behavior. You know, you'd have to kind of drill that into your brain, hit the disconnect rather than just yank the stick. I, 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 yeah. I'm not there. You know, I, I don't play with autopilots, so I'd be right there with you. 
Yeah, and it's it, it's that natural. The the immediate pitch down was was fought by me finding the autopilot. So right. Yeah. So all all of you guys uh, dreaming of autopilots, uh, think about that when you're putting it in. Uh, Gary and I had the same issue coming back from Oshkosh, where his Ahars a- or something was was getting squirrely, and and uh, he luckily just disconnected autopilot when we got those kind of weird pitch and roll uh, inputs. Right, Gary? Yeah, but it was kind of a, a learned response as well when I was doing my autopilot calibration in my Zenith. Uh, the first couple of times that I punched that thing on, it wanted to do some really wild stuff. Uh, I got it interesting, and you say, oh, isn't that interesting? But, you know, fortunately, I had my, my finger above the disconnect button anyway, so it was easy to punch off. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's something you kind of get used to and think about, but, you know, uh, again, we've talked about this before. If you guys ever do put autopilots in, uh, it's really nice if you can take a safety pilot with you because you're going to be needing to fiddle with things anyway and trying to set calibrations and set points and so forth and so forth. So, you know, try to think about having a safety pilot when you do that autopilot stuff. Mm-hmm. Gary, I was thinking about Garmin's presentation. They're talking about they have a magnetic clutch in their servos that, that can't shear off. Um, sounds like that might be a, a really nice thing to, to not have to go back in and do the maintenance on them. You mean with the yeah, image? the MGL has a, a soft brass uh, screw that shears off, and it works quite well, I'll tell you that. Yeah, Dynan does too. It's a fairly easy replacement, uh, but you're right. If, if it breaks, then you just don't have a servo for the rest of your flight. Right. But, you know, it depends on how aggressively you snatch that thing. Uh, most of those have uh, uh, slips into them that, can, that are built in, um, and you may actually get slip indications when you're doing your calibrations and setup. Um, so that's something, you know, you, you can finesse and, and jiggle and override those servos, but if, if you do it as a yank, uh, the kinetic energy is just too great and it will shear those little pins right off. Yeah. And on a Sonics that's so quick and sporty anyway, that's probably, you know, you're probably likely to do that than, than something like a Cessna or something along those lines. Alrighty. Well, Gary, um, what have you been up to lately? Well, at the moment, it's starting to sprinkle on me. Um, I've been doing, trying my best to do some cross-country trips already. This very early spring, I wanted to start the very first weekend of June. And as some of you may have known from my Facebook posts, I had planned a four-day weekend out to Idaho the first weekend in June. Well, the morning we're getting ready to leave, my buddies start calling me up and said, you check the weather this morning? I says, no, not since last night. And then, as typical in weather forecasts, John, as we were talking about earlier, you know, all of a sudden it goes from reasonable to a 90% chance of rain plus snow. So that trip got canceled. So I thought, well, the next day, maybe I can scoot over to Utah for a quick overnight camping trip before the weather comes in from the west. I get over there and, you know, it was supposed to be like maybe 90 or something. I get there, it's like 100, 105 degrees, no shade. So I just basically ended up, you know, gassing up, juicing up and, and heading back all on the same day. So, so my long range plans have not particularly worked out very well. Yeah. Well, you're getting after it. That's for sure. Trying my best. We got that, uh, Lake of the Ozarks flying coming up here. Uh, look forward to seeing you down this way. You know about that coming up, do you? I do. Well I am planning to attend. I, I was hoping you'd uh, swing over this way and pay Roosterville a quick visit. Well, I was meaning to get in touch with you here in the near future, if not after this podcast to see about, uh, uh, hooking up with you maybe on a Thursday coming out a day early. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll see what we can what we can do to get this arranged. All right. 
Good, good, good. All right, guys. Well, no guest on this show. This is just uh, the three of us yakking about it. So before we get into it, I thought maybe I would try to just paint a picture on where we're going with this second owner survival tips idea. So be- before I get into, you know, I, I have I have a typical scenario that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tee up. But before I do that, John and Gary, I just thought I would ask maybe as a, a precursor, when when somebody calls you up and says, hey, I just bought a second, you know, I'm a second owner on a Sonics, you know, what is like that one question that you find yourself always answering? I just, I'm kind of curious to survey the three of us and find out what are people asking you all the time? So what- Most of the questions I get are engine performance are related. What they can expect, is this the right RPM, that kind of stuff. Okay, so engine setup and tuning and all that. Okay, John, what yeah. about for you? Yeah, it, it's it's primarily on performance metrics. Um, it's running too hot, or uh, I have an oil pressure issue, or I have an oil leak issue. Um, so it's it's definitely engine related, or I'm not getting enough airspeed. Um, you know, th- this guy told me that I was supposed to get 150 mile an hour true air. I'm only seeing 120. Mm-hmm. And so you go, you go, okay, what, I don't know what all your issues are, but yeah, it's definitely a performance and uh metric from what they're seeing from their ephesus. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's kind of the thing that I always see also. And that makes sense. You know, they're having a problem. They're trying to figure it out. So they're reaching out to experienced people for help. And although that is a good thing that they're doing, I think that there's, um, there's a little nugget in there that we can, we can draw out a little later. And that is, there's a lot that goes into being a second owner, not just I got a problem that I need to solve. That's maybe a piece of it. So, okay. So now to kind of set this up, this, this is what I think like the typical scenario is. So get a, a phone call from somebody that, that says, Hey, I, um, I just bought a Sonics. I saw it off Barnstormers. It was a great deal. It has, uh, you know, it's good paint. It's a low hours. It's got a fresh condition inspection. Um, it's a few states away, so I've already called the seller. I'm going to fly out there and go pick it up and fly it home. Um, and you think, okay, that sounds great, you know. But in actuality, when you start, you know, talking to them, maybe after this adventure is all done, there's more to the story. So the plane has low hours because, you know, the engine just never really quite worked right. There was just something going on. And the original owner kind of got tired and bored and just decided, you know, it's good enough. It's good enough to sell and and just sort of decided to pass it along to someone else. It has a fresh inspection because the builder got the repairman certificate. So, of course, you can do the fresh inspection and sign it off. And that's a nice little selling point. doesn't really mean anything. It's not like anybody else laid eyes on it and put their stamp of approval. It says, yep, plane's good to go. The plane's a tail dragger powered by an Aero-V. And you, the second owner pilot, you've never flown an Aero-V or a Sonics for that matter. And so, yeah, you got your tail dragger endorsement, but it's been, you know, maybe you're a little rusty. You're not doing it all the time. So you agreed to fly out to the seller and you're going to come out there and uh, maybe a day early and you're going to go for a couple of flights in his local area. He's going to kind of show you the ropes a little bit, but you got a schedule. And so, you know, time is not unlimited. You got to get this done and you got to get back, you know, because you only have a fixed amount of time for your trip home. So you do your familiarity flights in the evening, you review the logs that night, you talk to the seller, you pack everything up, and um, you leave the next morning. And it's going to be several hours and maybe a fuel stop or two as you as you fly your new plane home. And most importantly, 
when you did your familiarity flight, you know, you weren't really stressing the engine. You weren't really flying in those heat of the day type conditions. And you left early, so you got a good early start. But you're going to have to face that probably before you get to your destination. And it's a big, complete unknown. So there are a few things that, you know, maybe this doesn't happen to everybody, but probably this exact story has happened to more than one person, and elements of this have happened to a lot more than that. So I want to just make it clear right off the bat, you know, this is not the way every experience goes. But but these are the kind of things that, you know, encourage people to give us a call and say, hey, uh, I need some help. All right, so... Uh, John, what do you think? Did you think that that's a good kind of tee up? Is that a typical scenario or did I miss uh, a key element of it? Well, the only thing I think we're, we're missing, we might get into it a little later is the aspect that the Sonics is a unique, um, <clears throat> aircraft, especially in the secondhand market, because it doesn't really hold its value for what builders have put into it. So it's generally a fairly cheap uh, experimental for anybody to get into. And that might attract a less experienced uh, person who's never been in the experimental arena uh, to take the jump because they're not buying that 30 or that uh, 40, 50, $60,000 RV. They're buying a $20,000 Sonics. And so we now have another aspect of not your typical experimental pilot buying an aircraft for the first time and then trying to get it home. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think you're right. I think that there's a big part of of some of the tips here. And I I do want to circle back to that exact point and drill into that here in just a little bit. Um, Gary, uh, any other? Oh, go ahead. Well, let me me just add. Yes, that's the exact... The exact scenario I'm talking about, someone goes and buys an aircraft off of Barnstormers. They head out to go pick it up. They get a few hours uh, around the pattern at the local airport, and then they try to fly it home. And home could be in a completely different environment. Either their density altitude is different or uh, conditions, um, you know, everything. And, and, and plus flying a, uh, a small experimental aircraft cross country is an adventure on its own. So they may have never done that. Right. Okay. Uh, Gary, uh, any other, any other things to kind of like frame this discussion? And then I want to kind of dig into what I see the, the big accident, you know, causes are. Well, I think you two are bringing up a pretty valid point, at least in my limited experience. It is limited. Uh, I've had other people, not just only Sonics, but other aircraft as well, contact me. Uh, I I have a couple of hangars, fortunately, and one of them I was trying to lease, sublease out. And, uh, you know, I'd have people tell me they're going to get this new plane and, you know, it's an experimental and they're pretty much low-time pilots and now they're trying to figure out, you know, where they're going to put this thing, how they're going to get it there and flying it. So, yeah, it's not just solely related to Sonics, but I do think that you, you can get a lot of... Uh, Relatively young, new pilots uh, are those who have been out for a while and trying to get back into it and looking at some economical way to do it, which is absolutely nothing wrong. Uh, but there becomes a little bit of a knowledge deficit that comes along with that as well. Yeah, and that's good. That's good to point that out right up front because we we oftentimes have just plain low experience in all things aviation um, that are being attracted as a Sonics, as an, as an affordable thing. And then we have people with 
with little to no experimental aviation knowledge and experience. And those two um, are, sometimes they overlap, but they are kind of distinct things in and of themselves. So I think that's a good, a good thing to point out. Okay, guys, so, so here's, you know, I just was pinning down a couple of thoughts here. Um, here's what I think we can kind of like lump the accidents that we're going to see uh, related to second owners. And if you go on the Sonics Builders um, forum, there is a database of Sonics accident statistics. So you can go and look there. You can search the archives on the forum and, and find some discussion on it. Or you can go directly to the NTSB or someplace like Catham's Report and, uh, and go do your own research and pull out some of this stuff. So this is not supposed to be a comprehensive analysis of Sonic's accident. This is just my observations that I think um, are, are, are pretty common sense. So the, the three big areas that I think you're going to have accidents, incidents, and problems by a Sonic second owner. First off, you have the stall spin accidents, usually following some sort of engine issue. Um, maybe the engine doesn't quit outright, but there's something that happens that causes a, a distraction or a loss of performance, and that leads them to the stall spin accident. So we can find examples of that in every fleet that's not unique to the Sonics, but that's the first, that's the big one. Those are the fatals. Second, we see landing accidents, and um, again, this is not related to specifically the Sonics, but you definitely see it. You have a relatively inexperienced pilot. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of landings in a Sonics, and maybe they're making that cross-country trip home, and the winds get ahead of them, and um, they have a bad bounce, or the crosswinds are unfavorable, or they're just unfamiliar and they're coming in too fast, and the excessive speed causes a, a landing incident. And maybe there's no injuries, but there's some, some damage to the airplane that has to be fixed. So, and then the third area, I think, that causes many of second owners, Sonic's second owner problems, is um, engine problems. And we talked about this in the intro. They have some sort of engine performance issue. Um, the engine is running, but it needs some work. It's running hot. It's not, it's not making power like it should. There's just something, there's just something there that needs to be fine-tuned or fixed. So, so those are the three big areas, and I want to just kind of peel each one of these down. The, um, you know, the, the, the stall spin, really that's what we're getting our fatals from, the landing accidents, and then the engine problems. So starting with the, the, the accidents, the, the stall spin type accidents, um, I think that, you know, a big trend that we see is people that are, that are coming in, they, um, they sometimes just have a lack of familiarity, you know, just in recent experience and definitely in experience in the Sonics. And we've talked about this in some of our other podcasts about transition training and, you know, preventing Sonics accidents and things like that. But as a second owner, you really got to understand that the, the game that you're getting involved with here requires that you really go out and you need to knock off the rust. If you haven't been flying a whole lot recently, you need to go out there and, and increase your proficiency. And you need to do it in a way that makes sense for a Sonics. And, um, you know, flying around in the, the club's 172 may not be the best way to prepare yourself. And, Jeff, you know, there's been some changes recently in the last few years on the Airman's certification standards uh, where they're actually really keeping people way away from stalls. Uh, they're going very early. Uh, even before horns are going off, and we don't even have horns in Sonics. And so, you know, if you're talking about a new pilot who's trying to get into aviation uh, with with a bark in Sonics, uh, that might be really the kind of guy that's going to be even more apt to have uh, stall and spin problems. 
Yeah, and, and I, Gary, that's a good point. I hate to, I hate to overgeneralize this, but I think this holds true for for a sizable percentage of us. You're on a budget, you know. You can't afford an RV. You can't afford a new 182 or even a nicely equipped, you know, used GA airplane. The value that you get in a Sonics is part of what attracts you into the home built fleet because your money just goes that much further. But as a result, you haven't been flying a whole lot, and you don't maybe have a lot of hours and certainly not a lot of time and anything as sporty and quick as a Sonics. So you need to acknowledge that, hey, I'm coming into something that I really am not super well prepared for. I probably ought to go, you know, do something about that before I show up to take delivery of my new airplane. I really need to take this to heart. The burden is on me to go seek out and get these things brushed up and, you know, give myself the best chance of success I can. Well, Jeff, one of the problems, though, is there is no real way to get or, or established way to get dual time in a Sonics now uh, transition training Sonics in themselves have pulled their program. I don't know of any CFI now out there that is offering uh, transition training sort of, or uh, legit legitimate transition training. So you're re- basically trying to bum a ride from someone. I think we need to send everybody down to uh, Mike Singleton. Was just nominating. Well, I think, <laughs> you know, the Sonics Foundation should probably just set up a fund, uh, fund uh, which is an uh, airline and uh, and room and board for Mike Singleton to just go out to wherever he needs to be. I think he's retired now. He's a super nice guy. So, yeah, he, he could definitely do that. It'll be the foundation's go team, you know. You make a phone call, he grabs his he grabs his overnight bag and heads out. Well, we out. could just send, you know, we we could get one of those uh, Batman lights and just shine it on the uh, on the clouds above uh, Houston, and it has a Sonics, hopefully a Wax, you know, emblem on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you know, John, th- there is another aspect here, and and that is if we compare the preparation that your typical builder does to get ready to go fly their new airplane. And then we, we look at the preparation that a second owner does to get ready to go take delivery of and start operating that plane they just bought. Um, I think you're going to find that they don't really look alike. I think the builder, they put a lot more effort into getting things ready. They've really poured over. They've, they spent a lot of time and study and really preparing themselves because there is no assumption that this thing is going to be okay. You know, it's it's a one-off, you know, unique design until it's been test flown and verified. And they really take that seriously, take it to heart, and they they prepare themselves. And I think that's why we see far fewer first flight accidents than we do second owner first flight accidents. Well, that's an excellent point, yeah, Jeff. Because you, analysis and systems management, uh, they they just don't really know what goes into them, where the potential fail points might be, or or things particularly that the regional builder was going to always try to keep an eye on because he might have had just a little question in the back of his mind as well. Yeah. Well, and, and sitting at your workbench for eight years working on an aircraft and you're listening to our podcast and you're listening to Merle Haggard on the radio and you're you're just dreaming about the day you're going to fly this beast, you are definitely thinking about all that stuff. The second owner has been thinking about it since he saw the ad on on Barnstormers. And so, yeah, I think you're definitely right, Jeff. Uh, I think the builder is much better prepared 
for all of uh, at least he's, he's pre-thought out all the problems and all the issues and all the preparation he needs to do to himself to fly that aircraft. Yeah, I think they take a much more proactive approach. They recognize the challenge that's ahead of them, and they consciously decide to, you know, to prepare themselves and to mitigate some of that risk of the unknown that's out there. And I think that, you know, there's a lesson for second owners that, you know, you need to find a way to to really get your head in the game ahead of time, similar to what a builder would be doing, and really, you know, go at this um as prepared as you possibly can be. You know, there's another aspect, and, and that is the builder is going to fly their airplane for their phase one flight test period. They got 40 hours, and they're going to do all the things that they have to do in their flight test period. And, you know, even if they don't do a really, really good flight test, they're going to start off very slowly. They're going to, you know, be very cautious in how they fly the airplane. They're going to prove engine reliability. They're going to test it in climbs and different temperatures. They're going to turn and stall and do all the things that they think they should as part of that flight test. And the whole time, they're gaining experience and confidence in Asonics and in that particular airplane. Um, and all that is already done and skipped over when the second owner comes in. They don't have the benefit of essentially kind of learn by doing that a builder is going to have. And so they, they have to replicate some of those essential learning experiences before they venture off on their own. I don't know how they do that, but you got to be thinking about that. Yeah. I think it's very difficult for someone to do that has to, who has to actually go retrieve the plane someplace unless they're, you know, unless they get fortunate or perhaps fortunate enough, however you want to look at it, uh, to be able to trailer the thing back to the home airport where they then can do something like a more of a methodical introduction or test flight phase to it. Well, how do uh, ferry pilots approach things like this, especially ferrying uh, um, experimental aircraft that they're they're not familiar with? Because you, you hear about guys that'll that'll hire on their commercial pilots and you know I can I, I bought this Sonics in Georgia. I want it in Denver. I'm going to pay this guy flight and, you know, all of his expenses plus a thousand bucks to deliver it to me. How do these guys approach it? Because they're not the ones that are dropping these things in fields. No, but I think it comes down to, to sheer experience. Uh, I think that, you know, once you start flying more and more different makes and models and types and so forth, uh, you start to get a little bit more appreciation and feel for aircraft in general terms. And perhaps some of the guys who have only flown a 152 or a 172 or, or whatever it happens to be a Cherokee, pick your, you know, pick your favorite flavor. Uh, but the ferry pilots, they do, they get into a lot of different things. But I know, you know, sometimes I've been in other aircraft too that I didn't build and was asked to, to do an analysis or something. And, you know, when I climb in that cockpit, I, I start to have a lot of, a lot of doubts sometimes, you know, you know, exactly what is all the switchology sometimes? Do I have it down? Do I know what's going on? And you're trying to troubleshoot and problem solve all at the same time. So I, I think it does take a fair amount of reasonable experience. Uh, hopefully, you know, you, uh, what was that adage? Something that, you know, if, if you live through it, it's called, you know, experience or, or knowledge or something like that. I forget what it called. But you probably remember that. The... Yeah, I, I, I can't remember the exact saying you're talking about. But, but Gary, I think you're right. If you have a lot of just total experience, um, you you have more tools stacked away that you can you can bring out and you can use, and that certainly is going to help you. 
But the typical Sonic second owner it doesn't have all that vast experience. They're, you know, they're, they're attracted to it because of its performance and its affordability and all that. I think that probably the big point that I want to make is that, you know, the, the tasks that are in the foundation uh, transition training syllabus, the tasks are really the essential things that a builder is going to, they're going to experiment, they're going to explore, they're going to draw out as part of that phase one flight test. You know, how does the plane handle under a variety of conditions? How does it fly slow? How does it stall? You know, all those types of things. Well, those are the same things that are on the transition training. And I think that a really, really good way to start would be for a new owner to say, you know what, I, I really have got to be super proficient on everything on this list. And I would love to do it in my new Sonics with a local CFI. Maybe the seller can help arrange that for me when I get there. But if I can't do it in the Sonics with, you know, with the CFI at the, at the guy's home airport, I am really going to have to get hot on it. And uh, I'm going to do it in whatever I can find as best replicating a Sonics. And I'm going to do that before I leave, you know, and I, and I think that, you know, it, it comes down to the, the second owner really has to acknowledge the position that they're going to place themselves in. They have to take ownership of it and they have to be active in going out there and trying to do something about it rather than just throwing their hands up and saying, you know, I can't really do anything about this and I'm just going to, it'll be fine. I, I'm, I'm proficient enough. It'll be okay. I'm just going to go and see how it turns out. So, so far, what kind of jewels of wisdom have we perhaps come up with? One, perhaps find an aircraft that actually is a high time aircraft. Uh, someone that you yeah, know, good point. A lot, a lot of hours in this plane, so you know he's flying the fool out of it. <laughs> the, the the performance and and operational aspects of it should be fairly good. Yeah. You know, Gary, you bring up a really good point that I never even thought about. Would you rather buy as a second owner a low time Sonics that has maybe a under a hundred hours? or one that has 800 hours, I think I would rather have the 800 hour because all the bugs have been worked out. And maybe the one that under 100 hours, he never got the bugs worked out and he's getting rid of it. Absolutely. I think that's a, a warning sign. Um, you know, you might be thinking, hey, uh, you know, I, I got it for a good price and I'm willing to do some troubleshooting and do the, the finish, the refinement. But, you know, you ought to recognize it as such. In a, in a used home built, Low hours is not a bonus point. That's a liability, now, and you need to acknowledge it as such. Someone with our experience, a low hour one at a good price could be a good deal because we know how to work through the problems. But someone who's not built an aircraft before, that should be a big red flag, is I'm going to have to work through this, and I didn't build it, and I don't have that mindset or that mentality to deal with all of the little nitpicky things that, oh, I adjust this, now it's it screwed up three other things. I have run across one other situation that it's it's kind of like borderline, I think. Sometimes you find these lucky guys who are habitual serial builders. In other words, their only goal is to build a kit and sell it as soon as they practically can to finance their next kit. Um, you know, in some respects, those guys have got an awful lot of experience and do excellent work. Uh, but again, you kind of scratch your head in the back of mind whether or not enough time and investment in the flight aspect for it is going to get all the bugs and kinked works out. 
And, you know, that's, that's a very good reason why the FAA, you know, basically mandates at least 40 hours worth of flight time. Uh, I know I've taken a couple of my planes, and it's, it's taken me a good solid 30 hours or more uh, to get the vast majority of the idiosyncrasies ironed out and, you know, troubleshooting the little niggly things that seem to always come up. Yeah, Gary, I think the, the, the nugget for that is you have to go in with a healthy degree of skepticism. You know, you say, hey, I, I want to I find an airplane that is perfect, that is fully refined and ready to go. But I'm not so, you know, naive as to put the blinders on. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to really make an assessment. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to find out, you know, just how ready is it for me. And um, rather than being so excited that I got my new airplane, that I kind of encouraged myself to just close my eyes to it and look past it. Well, John, remember several of us flew up to... Uh um Vans Air Park there to, to look over Sonics is a pre kind of a free pre buy inspection for guy and all the little uh tape marks we put and notes and and suggestions just you know on a quick 30 minute exam yeah there. yeah we got we got invited there was a guy out in uh, I think he's in Virginia that called us up and said I've got a, <clears throat> a lead on this aircraft up at an air park outside of Denver can you guys give me any idea on it? And so I, uh, me, Gary, and uh, Carl all flew up there and looked at this thing. And it turned out the guy had – did he recently die, Gary, or was he in, like, hospice or something? Uh, no, I think he had recently passed. Yeah, he had passed. And so we got to his hangar. He, had, he was a multi-experimental uh, builder, a habitual builder, almost a, a problem. I mean, he, like, had a, an addiction. But man, did he do good work! And we saw the perfect example of a uh, a Sonics built from scratch, I believe, um, right to the plans. And and that was a it was we we recommended the guy. It was this is an excellent uh, uh, value. But he ended up coming out in uh, trailering at home. I don't know what actually happened to that plane. Yeah, and I think that, you know, just like if you're going to buy any any GA airplane, you know, your your insurance company says, hey, before we give you a loan to go buy this airplane, uh, we really want some assurances that the plane is going to be airworthy and it's going to be good to go. And so they're going to require you to go do some due diligence checking that airplane out. And if you are not an AMP, then you're probably going to contract with an AMP to do that. Uh, well, you know, that, that same logic applies to us in the Sonics community as well. We don't need to go get our local AMP to go with us, but maybe a phone call to an experienced Sonics builder can offer you at least an, some insight as to things that are obviously wrong. And if you can't get someone to go on the trip with you, you know, arrange to do a do a FaceTime video or, you know, take a bunch of pictures and, and that night at the hotel, email them to somebody. But have have a plan to get some experienced eyes on that can help sort out obvious problems that you as an inexperienced second owner are not going to see. In this, in this instance, the, uh, the guy that contacted me was in the military. He was a, uh, was a helicopter pilot for the Army, I believe, and was just getting into fixed wing, um, wanted to get an experimental, loved the Sonics. Um, so I never met him. But we ended up, uh, he didn't fly it back. He, he wanted to uh, to take it home and, and then go through it. 
so we don't have that situation of someone rushing out to go fly their aircraft back. Um, but it was it was an interesting uh, experience for me to see an aircraft built by someone who literally followed the letter of the plans to the T. It was almost as if it was built at the Sonics factory. And because uh, I've seen a lot of different Sonics with a lot of modifications and a lot of enhancements um, and changes. But this thing was was real stock. And I would have I would have easily have flown that myself um, if, if asked to. Mm hmm. Yeah. OK, well, you know, we talked about engine issues and performance issues as one of those big problem areas. Let's let's dig into that a little bit. And I want to just kind of set this up in that, you know, there are known AeroV issues that people struggle with. And then there are some known Jabru issues. Um, maybe there are more in the AeroV because there's more that your typical builder has to do on an AeroV. A Jabru, you basically just have to bolt it on and not screw something up and it's going to work. Uh, an AeroV, there are things that the builder has to do and set and adjust. And so there's just more opportunity, you know, to get something wrong. So, Gary, uh, I think I'll just turn it over to you. What What is the short list of things that you know, a new owner really ought to kind of zero in and like, hey, I don't know anything about AeroVs, but how do I know whether this engine is running good and it's set up properly? And, you know, how am I going to tell if it is or isn't? What are those areas they ought to just laser focus on on an AeroV? Well, you know, there's a couple of things you can do just almost statically before you even turn the key to one of these things, especially if you're talking about an AeroV. Uh, a simple thing that I like to do, and I still do it on my aircraft too every once in a while, is I will just hand turn that prop over through all four cylinders. And, you know, it's kind of a Mickey Mouse way to do it, but, you know, you might get a reasonable amount of feedback on cylinder compressions as you cycle the prop through. Um, so that's one thing you can do. You know, I think uh, there was a service bulletin that, you know, it had affected me too. When you start turning this prop over, sometimes you hear a little click all of a sudden towards the back of the crankcase. If you remember, there was a, a service bulletin that came out on some stator screws, I believe it was. Uh, some of those mm -hmm. were backing out or too long. And I, would ha I had one of those that started clicking on me as well. And so that can clue you into a potential problem. Uh, the next thing you can do is, you know, if it's chalked up and tied down pretty well, is check your uh, crankshaft bearing thrust. You know, pull the prop uh, close to the hub, you know, fore and aft, you know, along the longitudinal axis of the aircraft. And see what kind of play. If you're getting a big lot of a lot of play and it's smacking back and forth uh, on the bearings uh, back there, that might give you pause. Um, the opposite turn, if, if for some reason you're trying to turn this over and it's very tough to turn over, you've got no free play whatsoever in the bearing thrust, that gives you a clue as to what's going on. So that's a couple of things you can do even before you ever start the thing right up. Yeah, no, that those are great points because... We know that builders have had problems on the back end of the engine with things like the the big magnet on the flywheel scraping against the magnetrons. And it will damage those magnetrons if it scrapes, or it could even, you know, you could lose the magnetic strength in that magnet from overheating. So you're not going to necessarily know that while you're flying, um, but 
a simple, you know, rotate it through and just listen for something that doesn't quite sound right, you know, that, that can really tell you a lot. Um, the stator and the alternator area, you know, those things in there, um, if there shouldn't be any grinding noises or clicking noises. And, um, you know, those are, those are areas you're definitely going to want to just, you know, pay attention to um, all the time when you're operating your AeroV. But certainly when you're getting familiar with a new one, you're going to want to pay a little attention. Especially there. During well, Jeff. Yes. Yeah. But a new owner, are they going to have any awareness that that is unusual, that that sound, that click is an unusual sound? That's well, that's, that's kind of a problem, too. Listening to our podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, you're not going to necessarily know that unless you just have automotive experience and, you're, and you kind of know things about things or you've listened to good advice and maybe on this podcast. So, yeah, you know, that's part of that homework and self-study that you got to do beforehand. And and really that kind of, you know, leads me into a thought I was going to come back to a little later, which is, you know, you have to put some effort into this and you got to go get smart. You know, you got some book learning to do before you go jump in. So I'll get back to that sure. a little later. Yeah, but Bring us up to those little things too. You know, the prop hub bearing uh, restrictor, is it still in place or mm-hmm. has it been drilled out and, and just and blocked off uh, to increase the flow to that bearing? Uh, you know, I had a particular issue with one. Some people don't. I did. Uh, so that would be another thing, too, that, you know, a little bit of education ahead of time might clue you into a potential problem, especially if it's a new build uh, and it took a period of time or perhaps it was an older series engines where they still had those restrictor plugs in. Well, there's a lot of uh, yeah. tribal knowledge, especially on the AeroV, on what works and what doesn't, what guys have done over the time, like Gary. Um experiences with okay this worked this didn't you can research all that stuff but to be able to sit there and turn the crank or turn the prop over and identify i don't like that or i don't like that sound um is a really hard thing for someone who's never had an arrow v sitting in front of them yeah you're right you're right and you know gary there are two other things that are kind of under the the basic engine setup that I think are really important. And these are things that a a second owner with no experience, they're totally not going to pick up on these things. They just, why would they? And that is, is the secondary ignition timed properly? And is the valve train geometry set correctly? And you think, geez, you know, how how am I going to tell that? Well, you're not. Until you get some experience, you're not going to know either of those things. But with a little bit of study ahead of time, maybe a little bit of, you know, um, enlist the aid of an experienced AeroV mentor who can help you, they can tell you how to figure those things out and do it pretty quick. So here's a hypothetical, you know, situation. You show up, the guy says, you know, yeah, the AeroV is running great. Um, well, you go fly it. And you've already, you've already listened to this podcast. You've already talked to your AeroV engine mentor before you've gone out there and you know how to check your secondary ignition timing in flight. And you go, Hey, when we're doing our familiarization flight, you know, my buddy told me that if I, if I fly on just the mags for a little bit and I observe what happens and then I switch it over and I fly on just the secondary, if it's timed properly, nothing really changes. Everything's good. The engine's happy and it just keeps running, you know? Uh, you mind if we do that? Just I want to see where we're at. It'll tell you real quick. You know, you're not going to know that unless you do a little bit of study and, and research ahead of time. And then valve train geometry, Gary. If you pull the the valve cover off of your AeroV, 
and you look at it, you're going to know pretty quick if there's something major, you know, that's not right. If you look at the, the, the rocker arms and you say, man, that rocker arm is not centered on the valve. You know, how did that happen? Or, you know, man, these are all at different angles. They shouldn't be like that. Or, you know, I got a push rod tip that is grinding down to dust. You know, you're going to be able to spot that because you have some experience to go off of. A new owner is going to go, yep, I see some bits and pieces in there. It's probably all, you know, probably all right. Uh, let's button it up and go let's, fly. Let's make this a simple so, thing. If you find loose parts inside the engine, be very aware. Be, be, just be aware. <laughs> Yeah, right. But the, but the point is, there are some known basic engine setup things that an experienced AeroV pilot is going to be able to to pick up on pretty easy. You know, when Gary walks up and spins the prop, he goes, wow, there's a horrible grinding and clicking noise coming from the back of your engine, and one of your cylinders doesn't have any compression. Let's pull the valve cover off. And he goes, oh, there's your problem. You got a valve that's, Bro. you know, that's stuck open. You know, he can see that in, in just a few seconds because he knows what he's looking at. That new owner isn't necessarily going to know any of that. So you got a choice. You can roll the dice or you can hedge your bet and, and go get smart and maybe go find yourself a little expert to throw in your pocket. So it kind of comes back to what we were talking about before. You know, the owner builder giving you a fresh annual perhaps maybe is not always the best way to go. Hmm. Right, right. I think that it is essential that you get a second opinion. You know, the better the second opinion is, obviously the better. Um, but even if you just bring somebody who is not directly invested in the project, whether, you know, buying it or not buying it, and certainly not the seller, just to be able to look at it and say, yeah, okay, here's what I observe. Um, ideally, they go, on my ROV, that doesn't look like that. You got a problem you need to investigate. You know, that would be the, the ideal standard. Yeah, I always seek advice. You know, anytime I had my cowling open and any other pilots come by, I always encourage them to take a look at stuff and say, you, you see something I missed because you'd be surprised. Gary, they never said that to me. You said just keep your mouth <laughs> shut and stand over there. Well, I know your work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, maybe, um, maybe not so much geared towards the AeroV. Um, these things uh, apply to any engine, certainly Jabru or Aerov. Continental, but, like homings, they're they're all the same. Yeah, but but the the next the next three things are big areas that you probably ought to just check out and just just know about. You know, is the carb tuned properly? You know, does the engine run smoothly and does it generally give you the performance that that you know that follows the parameters that the manufacturer tells you you should? Is the fuel system, you know, installed and operating properly? Do you have, you know, the right amount of fuel flow? Is it is the routing, you know, good and, and you're not getting any sort of vaporization? And, um, you know, again, this is where expert advice is really going to help out. And then lastly, is the engine getting the proper cooling that it needs? Now, we have an entire show on nothing but engine cooling, and we have actually shows on all these topics. But, you know, you need to, you need to methodically answer that question. And you're not going to know that just by looking at it in the hangar. You need to get it out and, and go observe what it does in flight to be able to tell, yeah, this engine is cooling properly. Or, no, you know, I can only climb for a 1,000 feet and I'm pushing red line. That doesn't seem right, especially since I got to fly it three states away and it's going to be 100 degrees on the way. You know, it, it kind of depends on, too, the information you're going to get from the builder. You know, when I when I particularly sold my Sonics up here at the in my high density altitude airports, 
you know, I told this guy right up front, it looks like a two-seat aircraft, but not at this density altitude. It's a single-seater. Uh, I says, don't ever anticipate taking a second person up. You know, give them a real good idea of what the real performance characteristics are going to be at this altitude versus sea level. I gave them both but examples of both of them. And so, you know, that's the kind of stuff you like to hear from, from the builder. You know, is he going to say, is this really going to meet your your needs? And hopefully they'll, they'll say yes or no. Um, you know, it's a little right. subjective, I understand. But, you know, I, I always kind of take that in consideration when someone, you know, wanted to buy my Sonics. Well, what are you looking for and what do you plan to do with it? Whether or not it's going to suit your needs or not and be safe. Yeah. I, I think, uh, Gary... The the builder has a responsibility, or I should say the seller of the airplane has a responsibility just, you know, for their own human decency and the good of all experimental aviation in general. And that is, you know, they got to be honest about what's going on. If there's an issue that they haven't quite been able to solve, they need to tell you about it. If there are some performance limitations um, that are going to keep you alive and out of trouble, they need to tell you what those things are. And we we can't become so driven to complete the sale that we maybe just, you know, don't disclose all these little things. So now, unfortunately, no sellers who are predisposed to conceal stuff are going to be listening to our podcast. So I don't expect that to necessarily change anything, but it's something to think about maybe. No. And Jeff and, and those that are, are going to do that are going to be selling bargain basement Sonics out there. Yeah. One of the things I always say is um, somebody say, hey, I'm thinking about this this plane that's been advertised. I say, you know, show up and tell the guy, um, hey, it looks good. I want to go fly or I want to, you know, I want to I want somebody to fly it. You know, even if the guy's like, well, I lost my medical and I can't fly, you know, whatever. Um, if if the plane is truly as advertised, it's ready to go. It flies great. You know, all that that seller is going to. They're they're gonna they're gonna be able to show you that they're gonna say okay yeah let's go you know you know this is the kind of performance we can expect or you know maybe we have to do some stuff to you know to to make this happen but they're gonna be they're gonna be very open about going and flying um, but if you get a lot of pushback and a lot of excuses you know you got to ask yourself why doesn't this person want to fly this airplane are are they you know is it legit or are they you know, are they trying to cover something up that they don't want me to find out? You got to just be sensitive to those little things. All right. Um, I guess maybe the last area that I just kind of want to talk about is be sensitive to problems or issues that, you know, you're going to perhaps inherit from the builder. And, you know, maybe maybe a good one that comes right to mind is, um, you know, the the radio they installed. Yeah, it kind of works. It doesn't have great range, but it has a really bad squeal when you're transmitting. And the builder says, yeah, the radio sucks. I've been meaning to fix that. You know, okay, well, maybe that reflected in the price. That's why you got it for a steal is because it's got some gremlins. But you ought to show up at, and with the idea that there are likely some things on the to-do list you know, maybe some squawk list items, maybe some future upgrade items, but you, you need to just kind of figure out what does the, the squawk on the to-do list look like and um, and just to kind of know what you're getting into. What you don't want is to be finding out, you know, you're 300 miles into your 800-mile ferry flight home and you find out, oh, yeah, the stuff that the 
the, the builder never told me that this isn't working right. So anyway, what do you guys think of that? What, what do you think are the gremlins or the issues that a second owner might inherit that they ought to just keep their eyes open for? Well, I think what you'll see is um, gremlins in the uh, in the electronics and the avionics. So, you're, yeah, definitely the, the radio, the uh, the transponder may go uh, tango uniform on them. The uh, the EFIS might suddenly just start rebooting or going um, reading I incorrectly. I, I, I know I, I felt that, too. <laughs> um, there's a lot of especially with avionics. If there's if there's any kind of uh, faulty wiring or a faulty connection, it can cause a cascade of problems. And if you're the se- if you're not the builder that has been working those, or even if you are the builder that's been working them, um, you're jumping in this aircraft and suddenly you lose your EFIS. Well, you've got to be planning for re- losing your EFIS, I think, on these ferry flights, and have an alternate uh, way to navigate and get it get it down. So you know, a, we we haven't talked about it. we've talked about it previously, but we've kind of ignored it this time for some reason. Is is trim and rig issues when you go yeah, you go for that first flight? If you're finding that you're really having to work hard on that stick to keep it level, boy, that can that can end up being a serious nightmare. Depending, it could well, be very, very simple, but it could also be a, a horrendous nightmare. Well, Gary, I think if you're buying a secondhand Sonics, those rig issues are going to be. Uh, already dealt with and if you if you have a rig issue you should be seeing that in your little test flight around their pattern well that's what i'm saying yeah that would be one of the first things we would notice but we just haven't really discussed this this episode you're not going to see that yeah, no, 500 the, miles into your uh, ferry flight right no but but i think the, that's good that ought to be on your list of things just to kind of check out you know it could be something as simple as um you know do i get a weird rolling uh, motion uh, when I deploy the flaps, you know, like there's no, there's no, you know, heavy stick when I'm flying straight and level, but I drop in full flaps and suddenly now it wants to roll to the right. And there's something weird going on there. You know, you ought to be just at least thinking about it. You know, it's easy to, to cross that off your list, but you know, it ought to be on your list of things to think about, you know, at some point. Uh, or, you know, does the flap handle, you know, does it bind up in certain places? Does it tend to get locked up in the notch, you know, um, on a go around situation? And I don't know, Jeff. Do you want to talk about the uh, the whole uh, mindset of experimental aviation on this kind of stuff? Because that's the exact stuff that people um, will will see in in a, a Sonics or even an RV or anything that's been hand built by someone versus the what their experience level is with the certified aircraft. Um, you know, they expect. When they deploy the flaps on a Cessna 150, it does the same thing on every Cessna 150 that they've ever flown. When they do it on a Sonics, it might not be the right thing, and it might not be what they're expecting, and they might not like it, and they might need to adjust it, and they don't understand that they are the ones now that have to adjust it. Yeah. Yeah, and and I don't think any of us are saying that if the plane has – some little wart that needs to be ironed out that you just walk away from the deal. You know, that's not it at all. But, but you need to be thinking along the lines of like, I need to go into this with my eyes open. I need to be looking for these little things that, that maybe, you know, idiosyncrasies are unique to this airplane, or maybe that are not quite done and finished and correct. Um, if you are not thinking about those ahead of time, 
that's when you're going to be surprised, you know, down the road. And maybe that gets you in trouble and leads you to an incident. You know, John, a couple other things that I think um, fall into this, you know, inherited issues thing. Um, you know, you, you talk about electrical gremlins and all that. But I think a real common thing is you show up, the plane hasn't been flown in the last year. It does have a fresh annual on it, so no problem there. But, you know, it won't start. Well, the battery's dead. It's like, well, well, really, is the battery dead because it just didn't get charged forever? Or is the battery dead because it won't stay charged or because you have a charging system problem? So, you know, the guy says, oh, yeah, it's no problem. I just put it in battery in last year. It just, you know, whatever. Well, what, what you didn't know is that, no, that battery is not staying charged because the alternator is finicky or just cuts out. And now you're on your trip home and your EFIS shuts down, you know, and you're like, holy crap, you know, I didn't realize that I was, you know, not recharging the battery and I've run it, you know, flat now and now I'm in trouble. You know, so just little things like that. Look for the systems that are not operating properly. And to do that, you really kind of have to like review like, okay, what all do we have here? And then I need to kind of have a way to go through and say, is it all working right? And if you don't go into it with that mindset, you're very much more likely to just gloss right over things. Everything looks good. And you don't even, you know, take the opportunity to figure out there might be a problem. And I, I agree with uh, th- Those are really good issues. Um, and Jeff, I, I hope we get into this is um, a lot of the calls we get are guys have already got the plane back. Um, they avoided all the problems of, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a, a serious issue in ferrying the airplane back. But now they, they've got this this toy they bought and they're they're sitting there and they're going, I, I am not getting the performance that I liked. I need to call Jeff Schultz and say, why is my Jabiru not doing this? And this is the point where I wanted to get into the mindset. Right. Uh, perfect. Um, John, why don't you really explain in detail what you mean by the experimental mindset? Numerous occasions I've been contacted by second owners who come from generally, uh, well, from generally a general aviation background. Um, they're newly retired or they, they just, they wanted to get back into aviation. They've found that the Sonics is a really good price point and it, it meets all of their mission requirements. They just want something to go out and bump around the dog patch with, but they come to, to, uh, the situation with a mindset that this is, you know, it's experimental. Yes. It's been certified by the FAA because he's got an airworthiness certification. So this thing should be flying. Yet, why am I having all these problems? I never had this when I rented my Piper Cherokee or my Cessna 172. Um, It's got all kinds of weird gremlins and things that I'm not really willing or uh, able to work on. These people are coming to aviation in a different way than a builder does. A builder comes into it with the understanding that they're building an aircraft and it's an experimental aircraft and they know all the issues. They, they're, they're making decisions that they know are going to affect the end, the end outcome. And they're going to be saying, OK, I'm going to deviate from the plans here and it might impact this. A second owner doesn't have those that that thought process and so they they've been given this thing 
that the builder has produced, yet they're expecting it to perform as a certified aircraft would. And so I get a lot of questions from people saying, why isn't this doing it the way my Cessna did or my Cherokee or some other aircraft that they've been used to? And my my response to them is always, because an amateur built this and an amateur made decisions that may have not been good or may have been different. And it just, you've got to now have this mindset that you are now an experimental aviator and you need to adjust to their mentality. Is that, am I, am I making myself clear on this? Yeah, I think so, John. I think that there is, there is a process that every builder goes through where they become more and more capable until they finish the plane and they fly it. And, and they have all this, this knowledge that they have gained by undergoing this journey. And you don't get any of that as a second owner. And you have to, you have to acknowledge that and very rapidly kind of come to terms with the fact that the rules of the game are different, you know, now that I own this experimental airplane. And, um, it's not like renting a car from, you know, from enterprise rental car where a rental car basically drives the same as my car, just maybe the buttons in a different spot. This airplane may be very different and it's on you to really learn it and figure it out and, and make it your own. And I, I think that it's, it's more prevalent in the Sonics world than in say the RV world. I think the RV world has a lot more experienced people buying secondhand planes that may have had experimental experience and they have an experimental mindset but the sonics world with the price point that it's at is kind of an entry level um experimental aircraft to get into especially as a second owner and so we're seeing a little bit more of this mindset than than the other um even you know kit fox i'm not saying zenith might have the same problem uh, but RVs definitely don't have this kind of issue, I don't think. Well, and John, there, there's one other aspect to it, which is when you run into a problem in your Sonics, it's not like a problem on your Cessna where you take it over to the maintenance hangar and you toss the guy the keys and you say, fix it and send me a bill. You know, they're, they're really, you know, you are the person. You have to troubleshoot. <laughs> yeah. You have to figure it out. And sometimes that can be challenging. It can challenge all of us. But you have to understand that, that's kind of what you signed up for when you bought that experimental airplane. You got to be okay with that. And if you're not, you need to start becoming more okay and more familiar with it. Exactly. That's, that's, that's my point with the whole thing is you have to be okay with it. You have to, you're now, you now are entering a new realm of troubleshooting and, and problem ownership that you may not have ever had. And, but you, you now own this problem child and it's your, your goal, your mission, your responsibility to uh, walk it through it. Yeah. Gary's real quiet. Well, I've got you two guys saying just about everything I need to say. All right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really comforting, Gary, that you agree with me. You know, even, even a broken clock is, twice as is right twice a day i sat in your zenith for 18 hours going back and forth to oshkosh and you never agreed with me 
Well, I'll never do that in person. <laughs> Just get over it. I'll never do that in person. And I'll never fly in to Oshkosh near Zenith again for 18 hours. Oh, that was awful. <laughs> Actually, it was you a know, good flight. You know, it's the shared hardship. It was a good flight. The shared hardship. <laughs> the shared hardship. Yeah, after, is what, after you know, it was Foster's over bonding. and I got a good shower and I uh, got a good night's sleep, it was it was fine. Yeah, it was an interesting trip. Yeah. Yeah, when cars are passing you on the interstate. You know, I had that happen in my mall, too. You know, you hit them headwinds. There's just nothing's going to help you in the world. Especially their big, well, those big tundra tires you put on that Zenith. Got us into Oshkosh that day, didn't you? Put your no, it, it, those were great then. Yes. Yeah, we should have put them in the baggage compartment. Let's see how you are. <laughs> pick and choose. Pick and choose. <laughs> Gary, we were flying through Kansas, Isaac and I in the Challenger, and um, we got passed by a combine in the field <laughs> below us. That's demoralizing. <laughs> well, you know, that's where you need to tack into the wind. Yeah, sometimes the landing's <laughs> up here with a ground with a GPS speed of ten miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys. Well, let's let's maybe try to extract and condense some of these nuggets. Um, I have I have a few thoughts that I'll, I'll run through, um, but I thought maybe I would give you guys a chance if you had something else you wanted to throw in as maybe a, a nugget or a conclusion thought. Um, if not, I'll I'll go through my list and maybe that'll spark something else. John, anything to start off? I'm waiting for your list. Yeah, no, we're oh. waiting for you. Okay, okay, <laughs> all right. Okay, well, the, these are the five things that I kind of, I think that every second owner, um, they ought to do. So, first off, you have to get proficient. And the way you're going to get proficient is to follow the transition training syllabus. If you can do that, um, you are going to be so much better off to show up and fly your Sonics home. Now, you know, quality is going to vary somewhat. If you can find a, a really good airplane and a really good flight instructor, you're going to have a great experience. Um, if you can't do that, well, you got to do the best you can because doing nothing is not going to help you at all. So use the transition training syllabus and really do your best to make it count. And that's going to set you up in the proficiency department. And find an aircraft with very light control surfaces, kind of like a pits. Right. And, you know, you have to recognize that, you know, the burden's on you. There is no magic bullet solution that, that we can offer. You're going to have to hunt around. You're going to have to do a little legwork and find somebody that can, uh, can help you. Okay, um, secondly... Get an experienced person to look over the airplane and find any problems. And we talked about this, but this is more than just showing up at the hangar and, you know, noting that you're missing a screw over here and your tires are balding. You know, these are operational problems. These are things like, hey, that oil pressure is not quite right. You know, the, the engine is not cooling in climb. You got a, You got an issue that you're going to need to address. It is, you know, rigging problems. It's somebody who just has... A little bit of Sonic-specific experience that can help you zero in on some of the things that might be at play here. Now, 
Maybe it's such that, you know, you say, you know what, I, I, maybe, maybe this isn't the deal for me. But even if you, it is a good deal and you are committed to, to buying that airplane, you're still going to need an experienced perspective that can help you assess some of these areas that maybe you just need to address. And it's not just the flight home. It's, you know, okay, you know, it's, it's, it's fall now. So I don't have to worry about high temperature problems, but come next summer, I'm going to have to work on that because I can see that it's not going to be good enough in a few months. You know, that type of thing. So find an experienced Sonics person and have them go with you, Um, whether that's virtually or whether that's in person or you do like John and Gary did. And, uh, you know, you guys went up there independent of the buyer. So it's worth the effort to get experienced eyes on the project. Okay, third, you got to treat the airplane like a new build. Until the engine has been proven. And if the plane has 800 hours and is flying great and the owner says, sure, show up anytime, any day, we'll go fly it, no problem. Okay, well, then that engine probably has been proven. But if it's not that, if it only has 117 hours over eight years and it has a fresh rebuild for undisclosed reasons, maybe that engine is not proven and, you know, you got to go into it with a really, really healthy degree of skepticism. And you got to say, okay, I'm going to fly an unproven engine until I know that I do not have problems. And if you're thinking about it from that perspective, you're going to be sensitive to those things that need to be addressed because we don't want you to have problems, you know, two fuel stops down the road where you're all by yourself and you have no support. You got to check, you got to check it both on the ground um, and you got to check it in flight. And if you can't do, you know, in an in-flight test, you have to acknowledge that, um, you know, your job just got a lot harder and maybe, you know, maybe you ought to spend some time in the local area before you venture off. That might mean changing up your plans a little bit to circle the airport for an hour or two. You know, Jeff, you make a good point. If, if, if it were me now that you mentioned this, I think I would actually budget an extra day at the airport that I was picking the plane up to really ring it through its, uh, ring it out and make sure I'm really comfortable with it before I take off. Don't even try to push it to say I'm going to fly out, test fly it, and fly it home. Yeah, I think that's a great idea to do. It gives you a lot of operational experience. It gives you a chance to ask the owner uh, whether you really, you know, a question that perhaps you didn't understand the first time something to you um, but just just plan in a day or two at the at the airport and say okay this is going to be my vacation i'm going to go out and go buy my airplane i'm going to go spend a couple of days and verify this aircraft is worthy for me to fly home absolutely i think that is time well spent you will not be rushed you'll have the time to really delve in and think about these issues maybe uncover problems that you're going to have to kind of um, you know, watch. And, um, and it could possibly be the difference between having a really low stress, easy flight home and, uh, and an unexpected problem on the road that becomes a major inconvenience. All right. Well, that leads me into point number four, which is, you know, you got to be willing to walk away from the flight home. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you get there and you say, I changed my mind. I don't want to buy the airplane. But it means, I am not in such a hurry to fly my new airplane back to home base that I am going to just gloss over the problems. I'm not going to shine the flashlight in that dark corner because I'm afraid of what I might see and I'm pressing on no matter what. You got to be willing to walk away from your plan. And if that means, 
You know, you say, you know what, I'll be back in two weeks when I can, you know, I can come back and try this again. In the meantime, please go fix these these, these problems. Or it could be, you know what, I'm going to have to pull the wings off and trailer at home, um, a, a, even if that's an inconvenient thing. But you got to be willing to pull the plug. Otherwise, that, that mission-oriented focus is going to potentially drive you to making a bad decision and, um, and put you in harm's way. And this is where, you know, the FAA talks about, you know, uh, decision-making and personal minimums and things like that. And one of the themes they bring up along this line is that you may find some value in discussing this with a trusted friend or maybe your flight instructor or somebody, you know, a spouse. And you can you can bring them into your decision-making process to help hold you accountable so you don't sort of just wish away the problems. I think this is another good example of that. If you have somebody else that is um, – that is there to kind of help pump the brakes if things aren't going right, you know, that might, that might be what you need. You might need to bring that experienced friend and say, Hey, you know, your job is to help me spot issues and problems, you know, and, and we'll talk about them at the hotel. I'm going to rack and stack whether it's critical or not. And, uh, and you're also there to keep me from, you know, becoming so focused on getting the plane out that I, I make a stupid decision. That's your job. And that might be something that's valuable to you. All right, and then uh, my last point, it goes back to, uh, John, your idea about, you know, the, the experimental mindset, and that is you have to shift your thinking back towards a new builder rather than simply as an operator. You know, this is not like buying just any other regular old airplane. This is potentially um, something that is going to have some, some rough spots that you're going to have to work on. And you got to get your head wrapped around the fact that you may be required to be more intricately involved in the the maintenance and the involvement and the safe operation of that airplane. And you can't approach it like toss the keys to the mechanic and have it gassed up and waiting, you know, waiting on the line for me when I when I show up. If you do that, you're going to set yourself up for problems. Now you can do some of this stuff ahead of time. And you should do this. You know, if you're buying an AeroV powered Sonics, well, you need to get on the website and you need to download the AeroV manual. You know, it's an assembly manual, but it's also a maintenance manual and an operation manual. You need to know how the ignition system works. You need to know what those, you know, operating limits on the head temperature and the oil pressure and, and stuff like that. And if you don't do your homework ahead of time, man, you are just setting yourself up for problems. So you got to do that. You know, just as a as a side here, I, I know we are dealing with experimental aircraft, but almost all of these points we discussed, I think, are equally valid in certified aircraft as well. If someone were going to buy a, a secondhand uh, aircraft, sure, you can you can get the licensed A and P's to help you out quite a bit since they're much more familiar with the aircraft and they're fairly standardized. But almost all of these operating practices on buying an aircraft. I think uh, are perfectly applicable from experimental to certified side as well. I agree. And I think that, you know, we all ought to strive to be as, as good at what we do as, as we can. But I think that, um, you know, when you're buying an experimental that you didn't build, it is doubly important. Yeah. I, you know, the, the experimental thing, the, the, the whole idea of experimental is we're not uh, regulated by, um, 
the type certifications of, of a certified aircraft. So you might find some really weird stuff in your aircraft that the builder thought was a really good idea and didn't tell you about. And it's like you open it up and go, wow, I didn't know I needed that. Right. But in, in a Cessna yeah. 150, if you see something like that, well, then they, obviously the aircraft has not been maintained to the uh, the type certification of the aircraft. Yeah, the freedom that we enjoy for the experimental category, um, it's a double-edged sword. You know, with that freedom comes all of the responsibility. And uh, you got to be willing to accept that. And all that responsibility goes to the, uh, basically, to the pilot that's flying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that really kind of is my bottom line summary thought, which is you really have to take ownership of your own experience. You have to put yourself in the right mindset. You have to get yourself smart and, and ready for this. You have to have a methodical plan to kind of size up you know, the job ahead of you and so maybe some of the some of the issues that might be at play. You know, nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to be there to kind of like force you to go through this or they're going to hold the keys and hostage on you until you're ready to go. The burden is on you. You have to take ownership and you really have to get yourself in the right frame of mind. Do that. And some of these things that we're talking about will be a, a huge head start and you're going to have a much, much more pleasant experience. And you're going to stay out of some of those those dark corners that you just don't want to go down. All right, guys. So that's um, those are my final kind of summary thoughts on there. Um, do we need to do we need to revisit anything or any other any other parting thoughts here? I think I'm actually pretty good, bud. No, you got my big point, which which was the experimental mindset. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, good deal. Um, I I really hope that this podcast can serve as a maybe a, a jumping off point for someone who's thinking about um, buying that good deal off Barnstormers, and they kind of know that they don't really know a whole lot, but it's like, well, can somebody help me maybe? Maybe identify, you know, what I don't know. You know, I don't know what I don't know. Can somebody help me figure that out? Well, maybe this will help give them some things to think about. It will create the skeleton of a game plan that they can implement and give them a a fair amount of homework to go do beforehand so that when they do show up, they've thought through all these issues and they they really are ready to, to, to attack it with a plan. That's my hope. I think this is a good All right, guys. Good one. Yeah, I, I, John, and I appreciate your you know your thoughts on that. I I think that we as an experimental community don't spend enough time talking about your exact point. The mindset is so important, and we can help people foster. It. You know, I've been getting to the point of I don't know what else we can talk about, but then you come up with something like this, and it's like, yeah, well, this is a good topic. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I just got one uh, one quick shout out. Um, you probably saw this, Gary. I, I know you probably saw it. But uh, Dynon Avionics is running a special, and they're calling it their Refer a Friend special. And uh, I guess you know they're not they're not going to Oshkosh, and so they're they're not able to get out there and make contact with potential customers, and so they're looking for ways to to support you know that. And this special is running from June 10th to July 10th, 
And it's super simple. If you have a current customer, current Dynon customer, um, you can, you can refer a friend who's buying a, a, a system. And um, the person buying the system gets a $250 discount, and the, the existing customer who made the referral gets one of their fancy little Dynon windbreakers, um, which look pretty cool. So, you know, um, from a purely you need a windbreaker. financial standpoint. You need a windbreaker. Well, yeah. <laughs> from a financial standpoint, <laughs> you know, nobody would turn, would turn down $250 off. All you got to do is say, uh, yeah, um, Gary Motley referred me. Um, I'll take my $250, please. And I know Gary's not going to turn down a windbreaker. No, I never know? turn down so, anything free, especially beer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. no Gary, is, so, Gary is the bling catcher at Oshkosh. <laughs> Yeah, so there, there it is. So if you're looking for a system, this might be a good chance to save some money. Yeah, reference Gary. He'll get his windbreakers, yeah. and he'll give them to the homeless. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, uh, good job as usual. I think um, I think this is going to be another good commonly referenced podcast, and we can add this um, back up to the short list of you know things that we recommend. How many does this make? Jeff. Well, this is number 74. 74. And, uh, oh my God. And, and there's a whole bunch long. of those that are multi-parts. Yeah, I know. So yeah, we're over, we're over like 80 now. So when we get to a hundred, we'll throw a big party and then we'll, uh, you know, abruptly stop or something. Uh. I don't know. <laughs> I know, um, John, I, I feel it too. Um, you know, I, I, we had such a huge backlog of things that had to be addressed. And this podcast was a really good way to do that. And I think we've made a, just a tremendous impact in getting this information out there. There are probably a handful of other really key topics that we need to do, um, and I want to do those. But probably it's time to start maybe slowing down a little bit. I, I just the, the running joke. I don't know if we've Go got. I mean, we got we got to leave on top sometime. So um, I, I I don't know. I I just think we've we've run out of things to talk about. But maybe some people have uh, other things they want to hear from us. Yeah. I, I, I don't want well, we'll to hear any more in... from Gary because I've, I've heard it. <laughs> God, God I, it, you know, you sit in an airplane with a man for 18 hours on an intercom, you're going to hear everything like three times over. So, you know, oh, you guys don't understand the pain I've gone through. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, John, I, I get that, but there's another side to this too. And Gary, um, have you ever wondered why John hasn't been asked back to Antarctica? You know, maybe there's something to it. It's the COVID. They won't let me go down with the COVID. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're not doing your official wrap-up? You'll just do that later. Uh, I'll do it right now. Um, okay, so official wrap-up. Wrap. First off, <laughs> right. If, um, if you guys have topics that you want to see us do, uh, please send us some email that just just let us know what topics are, are are really on the top of your list. I have one or two more things that I think that we ought to do just to kind of round out the thing. Um, and then we're probably going to drop back into maybe a, a simmer as things come up. We'll we'll pop in and do it. Uh, but we want to make sure that we answer all the mail before we do we do that. So with that having said, all the normal stuff you can. Find this episode on our website at sonicsflight.com. The show notes are at sonicsflight.com slash 74. And you can find us in all the podcast directories, iTunes, Apple Play, um, uh, uh, Google Play, um, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all that stuff. 
Um, you can listen to it off the website or you can download them there um, and using whatever other mobile device apps that you like. So having done the official wrap up, I'll just say, uh, John, <laughs> good luck on that, on that cross country coming up. I know uh, that's going to be exciting. So I've, I'm already, I've been planning it while we've been talking. It, it's going to be a wonderful day on Saturday. Yeah, I hope it is. All right, guys. And Gary, um, look forward to seeing you down here uh, coming up quick. Okay, good deal. Talk to you later, guys. Bye. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Select podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.